Hi, we're the ladies of LifeSite, and we're so glad you're here. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face every day from our unique perspectives. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ladies of LifeSite. Reba, Maddie, and I are so thrilled to be joined by Diane Weston. Diane is a homeschooling mom of eight and wife to John Henry Weston, and we are so excited to have you on. First of all, I just want to ask, how are you? I haven't seen you in a couple of years, but I just, how are you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, we're doing good. We're doing good. I know the lockdowns have been hard on a lot of people. We're still actually in lockdown in Ontario. But for us as a homeschooling mom, it's just kind of business as usual. So yeah, not too bad. How about you guys? Doing great. We are not in lockdown in Florida. You should come down here. Oh, so tempting. Believe me. (laughs) Yeah, Florida is really the place to be. I mean, we're not in lockdown here in Texas either, but Florida is really just standing up against all those lockdowns. It's really encouraging and disheartening every time we hear new news about what's going on in Canada. But I do think it's really a good reminder, Diane, as you say, you know, I'm a homeschooling mom. There's not a lot that's different. And I think that that actually tells a lot more than you realize, because I think that it shows the beauty and stability of the home. I know on Father's Day that our parish, we go to an FSSP parish, he focused on the family being the domestic church and how that means that it's a source of peace stability and strength in Christ amidst all of the chaos in the world. And so, you know, I think just in that simple statement that you made, it it really tells so much more about your family and the wonderful things that you're doing. So I know I would love to hear about how you kind of manage, and I'm sure some days it seems really chaotic, but how you keep kind of that faith and that peace in Christ amidst having eight kids and I'm sure all kinds of crazy things going on. I shouldn't say it's all the same with the lockdown. Like, of course, my children are are struggling socially like every other kid in Ontario right now with canceled events and sportings and get-togethers and and all of the extra things that would normally support our homeschooling. But in terms of like a day-to-day, just our family, it's true. The lockdowns haven't impacted us the same way they've impacted others. My kids are already doing the online learning and, and that kind of thing so that we didn't have to adjust in that sense. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely been hard. I think in Ontario, we've had one of the strictest lockdowns anywhere. And we're all, I think, here in Ontario at the burnout mode. We're ready to get back into normal life, whatever that will look like. It's been tough. I, I can't lie. It's been kind of tough. And you're right. I, I didn't mean to kind of downplay because it is... We just actually had Megan Mulherin on. She's, as I'm sure you know, database manager here at LifeSite, and she has seven kids. And she was also talking about how it is difficult having all seven kids just stuck at home. You know, homeschoolers get a bad rap for being antisocial and all of these things. But, you know, homeschoolers do get out. They're very socialized. It's true. And, but then there's strength in numbers. So one of the first things my kids did during the first lockdown was they built a volleyball court in our backyard using an old basketball hoop and a tree and a basketball pole in a tree. And we wound up playing hours and hours of volleyball because if you have lots of kids, volleyball is something everybody can do. And so, you know, it was good, good to be good for them to be resourceful and, and figure out how are we going to manage this? I'm sure it's a challenging time for everyone. And hopefully we're coming to the end of it, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, we just need to keep praying for our politicians that are enforcing these lockdowns that sadly really don't have a lot of 
practical basis. So it's hard to think, okay, well, practically they'll be over soon, but they, they don't really have a practical basis to begin with anyway. I would love to hear because I'm, I'm the newest of, of, you know, the ladies here to LifeSite. I've been here for, wow, two years now. I've been a LifeSite, an avid LifeSite reader and huge fan for practically my whole life, as long as I can remember. But tell us what it was like when LifeSite was kind of first founded with you know, a really young John Henry and a young Steve. I'd love to hear from your perspective because I'm sure it, they were long and difficult days. But what was, I guess, share a little bit of, of insight as to, to what that was like way back in the day. So the way it was found, it's kind of a, a funny story. So John Henry, I don't know if you know this, but he has a uh, master's degree in school and child clinical psychology. And he was given a $20,000 scholarship to do his PhD program. And we were newly engaged, and I was super excited to be married to this guy who was on this really awesome career path. And, and both of us were just kind of coming back to our, our faith. He, he back to his evangelical, I mean, he to his Roman Catholic faith, and I was evangelical. And at one point, he just said to me, I don't feel called to do the PhD program right now. I just think it's in conflict with, with who I am, with my faith, with what I'm trying to be. And I just figured he was burnt out. He fast-tracked through high school, fast-tracked through university. He's 23 years old and ready to enter a PhD program. And I thought, don't panic. He's just burnt out. I said, okay. So he basically took some time off, and he wound up volunteering. We were newly married, and he volunteered at this Christian school. They needed someone to teach, and they let him evangelize, and he was just so excited to do that. So he did that for a year, and we had student loans, and we were being newly married and him being very Catholic, we were open to life. And I was just kind of a little bit anxious of how this was going to work because the volunteering was nice and I understood he wanted to give back to the community and all of that. But, you know, I was like, we have to be realistic here. We're newly married, we have debt, and we could have a kid at any time. So I was anxious and I encouraged him to look for a job. And he said he'd pray about it. And so now he finished volunteering a whole year at this school and he wanted him a second year and I was like no way <laughs> not going to do this for two years so I said to him like we really got to think about what's going to happen next year this summer and he was typical John Henry he was at David and Mass and we were visiting my parents so we were at their cottage he's at a little country church in northern Ontario David Mass and he was praying in the pew afterwards and there was I guess a woman praying near him and the priests thought they knew each other. And, and so he said, oh, you guys know each other. You're together. And they said, no. And so he introduced them. And they wound up talking. And the woman, very devout, Dale had coming on, said to John Henry, I don't really feel comfortable talking to you inside the church. Let's step outside. So they stepped outside. And John Henry just felt like she was really holy. And, and he kind of said, oh, no, some respect. And the first thing she said to him was, are you looking for a job? And I guess in his mind, he was like, whatever she said was going to be from God. <laughs> and so she says, the Interim newspaper, this Catholic, uh, not Catholic, this pro-life newspaper in Ontario is looking for people to sell ads and subscriptions. And John Henry was like, I'll do it. <laughs> so he came back to the cottage and he was super excited. And he said to me, I got a job. That I, you know, St. Joseph, he'd been praying to St. Joseph. He said, St. Joseph, picture it for me and I got this job and he explained he was going to sell ads like okay graduated top of your class 
you have a twenty thousand dollars scholarship for the PhD program. You know, he had all these great achievements. It's just like you're honestly telling me you want to be a newspaper boy. I was baffled. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, oh, Lord, <laughs> he's so clear, but really, really, and sell sell ads for a newspaper, and I couldn't get my head around it. But I was trying to be the supportive young wife. I said, okay, well, we'll see how that goes. So he, over the next three weeks, he sold like three subscription ads. And basically, so they called him down to the head office of Campaign Life. And I think they were going to give him some strategies on how to sell more ads and how to be better at this. And in the process, he, he, he compiled his resume, which was stellar. I mean, he'd been president of our college. He'd done research in Venice. He, he had an amazing resume. And I guess they had given the resume to Jim Hughes. And now he's had this little meeting on how to sell ads. And they say, would you like to meet Jim Hughes? He's actually at the coffee shop across the street and he'd like to meet you. So John Henry goes across the street to the coffee shop and Jim Hughes, the Canton Life is there. And the first thing Jim does is he throws his papers on the table in front of him. And he looks at John Henry kind of sternly and he says, what is this? What is this? And John Henry looks at the papers and he says, oh, it's my resume. <laughs> and Jim Hughes kind of looks him up and down and he says, are you for real? Like, I, I think at this point, Jim thought he was some sort of spy for Planned Parenthood or, I don't know, trying to infiltrate campaign life. And he just couldn't get his head around why this guy would want to sell ads. And John Henry said, yeah, yeah, I, you know, my dad, my, his dad has been a big supporter of campaign life. And he said, you know, I'm real. And this is what I want to do. And Jim very wisely said, you will work for us. You will not sell ads for the intern. And he said, I see you have a research background. He said, I want you to research these things and hand me your findings. So he gave John Henry a list of topics in the pro-life news, newsish world to research. So John Henry went, he researched them, and he handed them back to Jim. And Jim basically took his findings and was handing them out to various pro-life leaders that he was in contact with. And this went on for a while. And finally, Jim said, you know, we're putting up this new, this is like 95, putting up this new website thing, this new, they didn't even know what, exactly what it was. The web was just, just coming online, basically. And we want to make this, this site. And we want to put your news on this site. And he said, there's this guy, brilliant, brilliant guy who's been working with us on all our computer stuff. And I want you to work with him. And he said, his name is Steve Jelsevet. And Steve, in his own right, absolute computer genius. Like he just so awesome with what he was doing. And also had given up an awful lot to work for Campaign Life. So Jim Hughes just kind of took these two guys who didn't know each other, never worked together, hadn't even seen each other, and said, I want you to work together. And, and that, even that to me is such a miracle that these guys came from, they didn't know each other at all. And here we are like 20 some odd years later and they're still working together and still going strong. Anyway, so they put, they, they put this on Campaign Life and there were these news stories. And then eventually Campaign Life said, kind of frustrating for us because everybody's not really looking at our page. They're just looking at your news. We, we need to separate this. And so they did. And they, Steve said, well, we need a name. And so Steve came up with the name LifeSite uh, News. That's kind of how it all began. <laughs> That is probably one of my favorite stories, and I love hearing it from your perspective, Diane. I was actually um, 
telling, I was telling Claire, we were just messaging just about the fact that when you and John Henry came to Kansas City, when my eldest was only like seven months and getting to hear that. And I, I had only been working at LifeSite for like a year or so at that time and getting to hear that so early from just you guys kind of telling this story like back and forth and just this uh, perfect ebb and flow. And so, so just hearing it again was just, I don't know, it's just fun. So I love it. I'm just so amazed that, that God worked it out because I, there was a moment there where I was like, okay, I have, this is just not going to work. Like how, how are we going to be open to life, have all these kids and you're selling three ads a month for the intern. Like, during all of that, when was your when was your first born? We actually didn't have a child for two years after we were married. And at first, because I was evangelical and my practice wasn't necessarily to be open to life to the same degree that John Henry's was being Catholic, but I had agreed to be open to life, but I was terrified. So when we didn't have a baby at first, I was like, okay, the Lord is just, he knows my heart and I'm, my anxieties and he's just blessing us and it's going to be okay. And, and I thought maybe I'm really, really good at this NFP stuff, but I, I really wasn't. I, I really didn't know what I was doing with NFP. And then rolled on a little more and I was like, you know what? We should have had a baby. Like, why aren't we having a baby? And then I began to become quite anxious by the middle of the second year that we weren't going to have a baby. And, and I remember going to a doctor and I said, you know, I need to talk to him about two things. And so I told him the first thing was a minor pain I had. And then he said to me, oh, what was the second thing? And I lost my nerve. And I was like, I can't say it because I said, if I, if I voice this, then I might not be able to have children. I said, I'm going to cry and it's just going to be terrible. So I said, I'm not going to say it. So I didn't say it. I said, oh, it's nothing. Forget it. But it became a concern for me that we wouldn't have children. And that's why our daughter, when she's born, we named her Hannah because I really identified with Hannah in the Old Testament who really wanted the baby Samuel. And anyway, so yeah, it took us two years. To have Hannah. <laughs> but after that, we had the next seven in nine years. So there was no more breaks. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I love also the, the meaning um, behind and the story behind her name. I think that that's really powerful too. So one of the stories that I remember, so this kind of leads into a question. John Henry always talks about anytime that, you know, we talk about working with kids or he'll see kiddos sitting on laps when we're, you know, in the middle of a team meeting or whatever, or hears them in the background. He always shares the, like the stories of, of having your little ones. And he would go down and work in the basement really early in the morning or really late at night and rock the baby in like, you know, little rocker. And he was like, I'd push it with my foot while I'd be doing research or writing an article. So that kind of takes me into my next question of what was it like kind of being a new mom while your husband is starting out this business and, and kind of growing this into what it is now, obviously, years later. But the amount of effort and energy and work that John Henry and Steve had to put into it in the very early days, I can only imagine. So kind of from your perspective, and obviously Steve was a lot older. His kids were older when, when this was all starting. So John Henry and you obviously had like a, a very unique perspective with little ones during all of this. So what was that like and how did you cultivate kind of the, the faithful family that you have today 
with this being the foundation? Basically, because of my background and and my hesitancy to be open to life and and coming at that from a very different perspective than John Henry, who was Catholic and and had this very deep understanding of openness to life. One of the things that became very clear early on was if I was going to be able to be open to life, he was going to really need to be present there and and very supportive. And he understood that and he really took that seriously, which is which is why at 3 a.m. he's rocking the baby while trying to get a little bit of work done and and working odd hours to work around our family schedule. Like he really he knew that he would have to be very present in order for me to be very open to the next baby and the next baby and the next baby. And and in that sense it was it was good because it made helps him to be a fantastic father and it helped us to be open to life. So it was a win-win. It wasn't easy, but we just we just kind of adjusted our schedule around the babies and his work and really just tried through teamwork to really make that work. So sometimes like if we had a new baby and I wasn't sleeping in the night or the baby was crying a lot in the night, John Henry would say, well, I'm going to work nights and, and rock the baby and hold the baby while I'm working and let you sleep as much as possible. And then he would sleep in the day and I'd be up with the kids and just being flexible that way. His work also had a lot of away time, which did make it hard because he was, you know, a lot of times he'd be speaking in different places or conferences, conventions, meetings, whatever. And so I'd be alone with the kids, you know, for a weekend or, or a little bit longer. But he was always really good when he came back at saying, okay, you get a break and now go take some time for yourself and I'm going to just be here with the kids. And because he had been with them alone, he also understood how what I was going through when I was with them. So again, just very supportive, you know? And I think that support really makes all the difference. That's amazing. I, I love that. That's, I think that's true because it's, it's teamwork. It's, it's a team effort, right? Like you can't do, can't do any of this without, without your uh, person. <laughs> so it's, it's a good testament to how the ebb and flow and just how it all works. And also like the understanding of, the hard work that you were putting in and then you obviously understanding the hard work that he was putting in too. So there was a, a good balance there. That's really fun. So Diane, did you always know that you were homeschool, you know, homeschool your kiddos or, um, or how did you guys decide on that decision? Being a public school teacher, I, I didn't think about homeschooling my kids growing up. I didn't think about even when we were first married, that homeschooling would be an option. I just figured they'd be in school like everybody else. And it was only later, after we started having children, that I met some homeschoolers and, you know, we just got talking about why they did what they did. And for us, it wasn't so much we were against what was going on in the schools. It was more for our family dynamics. It, it really fit. John Henry was away a lot, working uh, different hours. And for us, it was just an opportunity to either maybe go with him sometimes or just you know, have the kids be present when he was home. It gave us a real flexible schedule. And also having a lot of children made it easy in that we did have that flexible schedule. It wasn't, it, it wasn't something we came into lightly, but it was definitely, we felt the very, a right decision for our family. What kind of led you into that? Obviously you said, you know, you kind of came into it and you didn't come into it lightly. So, and you said obviously also that you know, it wasn't necessarily the stuff in the school as much as it was your, your, you know, flexible lifestyle and things like that. But what, 
what started you on that? You said you met some homeschooling parents. You know, was it their influence? Was it? Well, I just really liked their kids. You know, I thought their <laughs> kids were just really nice. And and I loved that they, they were playing together across grades. You know, like mm-hmm. one thing I know from teaching is you kind of get stuck in your grades and the, the grade threes play with the grade threes. And and I just really loved that they were they were just so open to hanging out with the younger children or slightly older children and um, living in a small community, you don't necessarily have a lot of options for who's around. So it was really nice that these homeschool kids were just so friendly and and that just really drew me. <laughs> did you start homeschooling with your first then? I did. So we started Hannah and and she was just such a bright student and and it was just so easy. And, and I, I'm being a teacher myself. I just really enjoyed that, you know, and it just kind of flowed from there. That sounds really similar to my mom's my mom's story, because my oldest brother was just kind of, I don't know, he was reading Chronicles of Narnia at the age of four and was like retaining the information. Like he knew what he was reading. So he was just really smart. And my mom was um, an elementary ed major and she taught first and second grade. And so she was like, I don't think that I can, you know, I can do this to my four-year-old. And he's, he's reading Chronicles of Narnia while I'm teaching, you know, Matt the Rat. And she's like, it's it's not a not a dig towards anybody or or levels, but you know he would have been so bored. <laughs> so that's why she started homeschooling, and and then it just kind of grew from there. So obviously, as a as a homeschool grad and a homeschool mom, um, this is I love these kinds of things and stories, and obviously love hearing that you're talking about. You know, that homeschoolers do play across grades and that we we tend to have conversations and relationships with people of all ages. You know, growing up, I had friends that were 12 while I'm 18. And I also had friends that were, you know, 28 and married. So just kind of it's really cool how that happens. It's true. It is it's a, a neat experience. Yeah, I know. I was also homeschooled. So obviously, Reba and I are quite biased. But I do know that one of the things that I really valued was actually being able to interact with adults really well, as you guys are talking about, like being friends with different ages. I remember being like maybe eight or 10 years old and just recognizing that a lot of my friends that I would hang out with didn't want to engage with their parents or aunts and uncles and things like that. And I would love to just sit and talk to or engage with adults and kind of try to glean a lot of that knowledge from them because I was just so curious. And so I thought that that was just another kind of fun and unique experience that you get that maybe a lot of people don't realize. Instead, they just look at homeschoolers and think, oh, you can't socialize. You don't get out enough. You know, all these different boxes that they put people into. It is true. They do socialize. It just might not look exactly like the socialization in in regular school system where it's within a certain age or peer group. Yeah, homeschool kids are socialized across the board. Which, if you think about it, in our adult lives, we don't do that. I don't interact with a bunch of other people my own age at work. I interact with people of all various different ages, backgrounds. You know, it's it's nothing like school. Real life is really not like public school, in my opinion. But one of the things, Diane, I actually want to go back to, so I'm, I'm sorry to blast from earlier in the episode, so to speak, but I really love what you were talking about with John Henry and the story of how LifeSite was founded and how you can really see and feel the hand of God in all of that. And But more than that, I want to talk about your guys' trust and your ability, or maybe it was just John Henry's, you know, interaction with that one woman from the church, but 
that beautiful ability to say, God's going to take care of us. I know when I first started at LifeSight and we were running our one of our fundraising campaigns, Steve and John Henry said, you know, we really have to make this because... You know, we don't have a, you know, we don't have big reserves, but somehow we always meet our goal. No matter how far we are from our goal, we always meet it. We don't blast past it. We don't have a ton of money just hanging out in our bank accounts, but God always provides. And I'm a super controlling type A person. And that to me was the most beautiful statement I'd ever heard. And it, it's really changed my life in the way I've interacted with other people, with my faith, just being able to to start to let go of that control. So can you tell us what that was like as a young married woman? You know, what was, I'm sure part of it was a little difficult having that much faith and trust in God to just work things out. So John Henry's always been better at that than I have. Again, I, I just, <laughs> I'm very tangible, very realistic. He, he has an awesome faith that I, that I admire. Um, and I'll just give you a little, a little story to kind of how I got there one time. So we had a child who had a, a seizure disorder and basically he has, he had status seizures, which, which are seizures that last a very long time. And, and if you don't catch them, they can wind up leaving the child unconscious and it could lead to like brain damage or death or, or heart stoppage. Anyway, it's a very serious condition. And so this particular child, we didn't know we had this condition at this point. We found him unconscious, and so we rushed him to the hospital, and he was eight years old, and he'd actually just received his first communion the week before, and so we get into the hospital, and he's not responding to anything, and and the doctors can't seem to wake him, and it's just, for for me, for my mother's heart, this was just such a, a desperate moment, and John Henry, he, he was already there. He said, you know, if this is God's will for this child, he's eight, he's just received first communion, his beautiful soul. I know he'll go to heaven. He's in a good space. Like, so be it. This is what the Lord wants. Then the Lord can have this. And I, uh, and so he, he basically voiced that to me and, and my mother's heart just went, no, no, this is not happening. And I started praying. And, and so we, we were in a small hospital and they transferred him to a large children's hospital in our nation's capital in Ottawa. And all the way there in the ambulance, I'm riding with this child who's unconscious. And the whole time I'm just, I'm numb and I can hardly pray. And I'm, I'm just thinking, Lord, when we get into the hospital, the doctors are going to be there and, and there's a special hospital and they're going to know what to do. And they're going to heal my son. And I was putting all my confidence in these doctors basically being able to heal him and we get into the hospital and they bring us in and they put us in ICU in isolation and like the most serious of all serious places in this children's hospital and there's a team of doctors and most of them are young they look young to me they look like kids they're specialists they're doctors and they come out of the room from examining him and they say we don't know what this is and we we're, you know, we're trying to figure out how to help him. We don't understand what's going on here. And in that moment, my heart sank and I turned to Jesus in my heart and I said, Lord, it's you. It's not these doctors all this way here. I was thinking these doctors are going to heal my son. It's you, Lord. It's you. Only you, Jesus, can heal him or not heal him, you know, and, and just that, that moment of realizing it's you, Jesus, was such a turning point for me just to be able to go, okay, think of all the things in life we put our, our faith and our trust in, and it's, it's you, Jesus, only you. 
you know, and long story short, my son did fully recover and was fine. Thanks be to God. And I think that moment that God allowed that to happen, one of the reasons was just so my own heart could see, it's you, Jesus. It's you. I was fighting back tears as you were telling that story, Dan. That is just absolutely so beautiful and so heart-wrenching at the same time. It, it really reminds me of Abraham and Isaac because God asked of, but then gave you back your son, so to speak. And that's just, it, it's so beautiful, especially when you can look back on and take, take such a great lesson from that. You're just, I'm, I'm in awe of what a wonderful example you and John Henry are to, to all of us. I mean, obviously through LifeSite, you guys, John Henry has touched so many lives, but it's, it's not just him. It's you supporting him and supporting the family and making all of this possible. You guys are a, a, a beautiful team, but as human beings, you guys are just so inspiring in how you guys lead your life and raise your family. It's just, I, I just, I just want to share how, how awestruck and, and inspiring and influential you guys really are. I hope I hope that our this podcast really gets out far and wide because I don't think a lot of people realize what goes on behind the scenes and all the faith and trust and moments like this that that lead us to to become the people that we are to to strengthen our faith to to even test our faith and I think I think it's just so beautiful Diane so thank you thank you for having me on and just you know praise God because anything good is from him you know, praise God. I honestly don't think LifeSite would be what it is without you and Steve's wife, Bonnie, because I just think you guys are such rocks and just such, like Maddie said, amazing, amazing women who just oh. make make John Henry and Steve look really good. <laughs> Can I ask you, what has been like your favorite part of watching LifeSite grow? Just going back to that initial moment where I was like, you really think you're called to be a newspaper boy and seeing newspaper boy and just seeing what the Lord did with that, because it, it wasn't really supposed to be newspaper. It wasn't supposed to be, you know, a, a news venue. And yet here it is. It, that's kind of what he is. He's, he's delivering the news, you know, just seeing how God took that initial step and, and what he turned it into and stepping back and just watching, you know, for me, being at the LifeSite meetings two years ago and just seeing the crew and the team and being surrounded by all these amazing people and, and realizing God brought you guys all together to do this, just so powerful for me to sit back and, and be a part of that and, and, and see how much it's grown. It's kind of like, you know, you watch your kids grow and you're just so impressed with how they turn out. This is like a, a big baby that we've just sort of stepped back and watched grow and, and so impressed with how it all turned out. Thanks be God, you know. It's grown very, very large. <laughs> I mean, we've reached, what, 8 million users a month or 8 million impressions a month. I mean, that's just insane. It's like 3 million users a month or something like that. And it's even just even since the time that I've been been on staff. So I'm sure over the last 20 plus years, I can't imagine just knowing what it started at and, and seeing it now. So to me, that that is the most amazing thing. Just just seeing how that grew, you know, and how the Lord has really used that that yes, you know, it's beautiful. 
I don't know. That just always comes back to mind every time I think about like how life start was started and, and there's even our daily, like our day to day stuff, because there's constantly that need for, you know, John Henry and Steve to constantly say yes to what God has going on and what his plan is for, for life site and each of the individuals here. But it also involves each individual and each employee saying yes and choosing into his will. And I just think that that's kind of what's, what makes life site so unique and what makes even, even just not even, not even just the, the employees, but also, you know, it takes the spouses and their families choosing to say yes to it as well. They're the ones that are praying and and standing by. What I just shared was our yes, but but that's just one of a thousand yeses that went together to make LifeSite what it is. You know, you each have your moment where you're like, do I really want to, do I want to do this? Or how how is the Lord calling me? I mean, each employee has their story of how they got to be a part of this, this amazing thing. And, and I know for each employee, God is in that story, which also makes it amazing. I think it's a really cool, cool experience and cool story. I have a question that is oh, yeah. like not at all related to LifeSite uh, <laughs> and kind of really not related to my life either because I have no children. But I think I've I've always been really amazed how you homeschool all eight of your children and how awesome they are. And, and every time I see you, I'm always so amazed because you're so cool and calm and so just lovely and so kind. And I was just wondering, like, I know because a lot of our listeners are mothers. And I was just wondering if you have any just tips or guidance or just encouragement for them as they raise their children and raise their families in good Christian homes. I don't know. I just think with our kids, they are going to they're going to be real. Like we're a very real family here too. You know, my kids, my kids are real. Expect the unexpected. I don't know. We just pray, pray, you know, on our, on our kitchen stove, I have this little, this little plaque and it's just five loaves and two fish. And, and for me, I just think that that's, that kind of defines my, my motherhood, my homeschooling, my everything. It's like, Lord, I come to the table and I, I bring five loaves and two fish. And, and here sitting at our table is, is 10 of us, all these mouths, all this, all these needs, you know, each child has their own needs, educationally, emotionally, socially, heartbreaks, whatever it is, all these needs. And I feel like I just got these five loaves and two fish. And I'm not really sure how at the beginning of each day, how I'm going to meet all the needs or do all that needs to be done. But I look at that on my stove, the five loaves and the two fish, and I just know if we bring it to the Lord, however small, whatever it is we have, put it at his feet, he can multiply it and he will multiply it. And, and that's, that's kind of, you know, that's the way it goes. We just bring the little that we have, the five loaves, the two fish, that little bit of energy, that little bit of, okay, I'm going to do what I can do today. And, and somehow miraculously, little by little, day by day, he just multiplies that and the graces flow. And it's not always perfect. And I, I totally don't want uh, your listeners to think we are a perfect family that has it all together. We are just bumbling through this like everybody else with our five loaves and our two fish and just counting on the Lord to really bless that. That was the perfect answer. <laughs> I actually just got a little bowl in a subscription box that I have. It's a, a little bowl. It was actually made by like a, it was handmade in Israel and it's stamped in the bottom of the bowl with five loaves and two fishes. 
So perfect timing. And I think as I'm crying here with my pregnancy hormone, that's what I needed. I think that's beautiful because that's such a perfect sentiment for what motherhood is. <laughs> and not even just motherhood, but just in, our, in, in any walk of life, you know, as Claire, she's Tita Claire most of the time and, and has to give out when she's exhausted or, you know, her nephew sleeps in her bed diagonally and takes up so, so much room. <laughs> Do you have any, like, other practical tips in terms of, like, organization or how to manage that many kiddos or, you know, do you have a certain morning routine? Do you... You that you do every day. I, you know, I was listening to Claire talk about just kind of who you are, and every time that we get to see you or chat with you, and there's just this radiating joy that you that you have, and I just, I don't know, it's just so, it's so beautiful. So I guess, how do you achieve that? What do you do? Is there any? <laughs> Obviously, it's through Christ, but we can we can always give Him that <laughs> that glory. I'm a real strong believer in divide and conquer. So basically, you know, inspired by Fly Lady and, and a few other really good housekeeping websites, we divide our house into zones. And each child, even if they're very young, has been responsible for a zone. And so, for example, one of the kids is front hall. So their job is to just make sure all the shoes are put away and everything looks neat in the front hall. Uh, another kid does a living room and their job is just to make sure that, you know, the books are put away and anybody's sweater is returned back to their room or whatever's in the living room, that kind of thing. And, and we, one of the things I did is, so we divided them into zones. Each kid has their zone and then I never switch. And, and the kids wind up, well, they, they wind up becoming really good at their zones. So they can do their zones in a matter of minutes every day. And um, so while, while light hands make many work, you know, we wind up being able to clean up our house very, very quickly because each child has their zone. And I actually kind of feel sorry for people that don't have a lot of kids because I really don't know how they're going to be able to keep their house clean. Anyway, so that's, that's one of my one of my firm things is is we each child has their zone. And then if if I go into an area and I do see, oh, this is untidy or not the way I like it, I can I know right away whose job it is. And the only other thing I do is I make sure at the beginning of assigning the zone that they, you know, that it's all doable. Everything has a place and, and the kid can really very easily and very quickly keep their zone tidy. And once I put that order in place, the kids are able to maintain it beautifully. I absolutely love that. I have not heard of that before, but I think that that's absolutely brilliant. Rebecca, did you have any other questions for Diane? I don't think so. I'm just going to make the joke that you should only buy a house that has as many zones as your children. So then it's all even. So. <laughs> and and um, the joy that overtook me when I realized that a child eight or nine years old is old enough to do their own laundry and yes. uh, just realizing most of my kids could just do their own laundry. Um, the laundry has always been the bane of my existence, you know, folding and sorting and, and realizing if they had their own hamper and they took it down and they did it and they moved it along, it, there'd be no sorting. It's all their clothes. Like this, that was just, for me, that was such a revelation to, to yeah. have the kids do their own laundry. That's perfect. That's about when my mom started having us do our own laundry too. So, Diane, thank you so much for being on this episode of the Ladies of Lifesight today. It has been just an absolute joy. I, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. You are truly an, an inspiring woman, mother, 
uh, wife. I'm just, I'm so excited that we got to have you on today, that you gave us so much of your time. You were so generous in sharing your time and your experiences with us. And I really hope that we get to have you on sometime in the future. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And I just want to say you guys are inspiring to me too, the whole team really. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much for having me on here. Wow, Diane, you're just such a a wonderful, grace-filled woman. So thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, as always, um, if you're not already subscribed, there will be a link in our description to subscribe to our email list. We're not going to spam you. We're just going to send you emails out once a week when a new episode publishes so that you don't miss any of them. We also have a survey going because we want to hear from you as our listeners. We want to know what you want to hear about on this podcast. Guests you might want to have on, questions you may have for um, any of us ladies, for any of our previous guests like Diane. We would love to hear from you so that the survey link will also be in the description as well. And if you guys can take a few moments and share this episode... We all know that person in our life. Maybe we haven't reached out to in a, in a, in a while, or maybe we know they're having a little bit of a tough time. Take a minute and just send this episode along with a, with a nice little note. It's always really encouraging to know that somebody's thinking about you. And especially now, um, I know a lot of the United States is no longer under as strict of a lockdown, but that doesn't mean that people aren't still feeling isolated or, you know, maybe not as connected as they were before. So I, I really think um, this episode is super inspiring. I think Diane and John Henry are just wonderful and amazing people. And we all know a person in our life who, who would benefit from hearing this. So if you wouldn't mind, shoot this link to at least one person. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of homework for this week. And next week, we hope that you will join us again. Thank you so much. And have a wonderful day. God bless. God bless. Bye.